0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Before we start the show today, I'm wondering if you could do us at the pod here a solid. NPR is doing its annual survey to better understand how you, our listeners, spend time with podcasts. It's a really quick and anonymous thing that just asks you know what shows you listen to, how often, that sort of thing. And it would help us out a ton if you could fill it out. It's at npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. And you Really, honestly, thank you. But back to book business. On the show today, we've got this interview with Leslie Fenwick, who wrote the book Jim Crow's Pink Slip, The Untold Story of Black Principal and Teacher Leadership. In it, she argues that the landmark Browd versus the Board of Education decision that ended legal segregation in American schools also resulted in the mass firing or demotion of black principals and teachers. Because in those newly desegregated schools, white parents didn't want their white kids to be taught by black teachers. And she makes a point to NPR's Michelle Martin that we can see the ramifications of this still in the lack of diversity we see in school administration.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute.
2: We talk a lot about educator diversity and the underrepresentation of Blacks and other, other um, people of color in the teaching force. You know, about 7% of the nation's 3.2 million teachers are Black, about 11% of the 93,000 principals are Black, and less than 3% of the nation's 14,000 superintendents are Black. But we've never talked about the history about why this is so. And one of the things I was trying to do in the book was push against the myth that after Brown and desegregation, that Blacks pursued careers en masse in other fields outside of education, while the historical record shows that the Black educator pipeline was purposely decimated after Brown.
3: This is so fascinating because one of the things you point out in your book is that there are these facts, but then there's this mythology that has built up around it, which is the opposite of what the facts indicate. I mean, one of the things you say is that there's mythology that, well, after Brown, all these Black educators just decided to do something else, um, you know, make more money in other fields. And you're saying that that is the opposite of what actually occurred, that these people intentionally wanted to teach in these schools and were basically pushed out. Um, And you point them out, of course, you know, it's not just the, not just the, the kind of loss of academic, loss of professional standing, but that, that then forced Black children to be in classrooms with people who in many cases did not want them there, because this is all occurring in the context of forced desegregation, right? You quote this Time magazine article published in 1965, which is, you quote an article about the findings, quoting then U.S. Commissioner of Education, Francis Keppel, who said, We must not deceive ourselves that the exclusion of Negroes is not noticed by children. What can they assume but that the Negroes are not deemed by the community as worthy of a place in mixed classrooms? What can the white child... What can the white child assume but that he is somehow special and exclusive? How can the world of democracy have meaning to such children? Talk more about that, particularly your concern about the educational environment that was then left for Black students.
2: The integrating previously all-white schools now have more students in those schools, and there's a need for more principals and teachers. But... With black educators locked out of that equation, now we see the proliferation. We actually see the roots of the black male educator crisis during this time period of white resistance to Brown. Uh, The majority of uh, principals uh, prior to Brown and directly after Brown were male. And so we, we begin to see the origins of the black male educator crisis after Brown. They're being pushed out of um, schools. Um, and so uh, you know, there's a need to increase the number of principals and teachers to teach in these uh, schools that have burgeoning student populations, and emergency certification, um, uh, the ability to be to become a teacher without credentials, Uh, We see all these loopholes being created to get a warm body in front of students rather than to hire Black principals and teachers. And so not only are Black educators at the time affected by being fired, demoted, and dismissed, they also um, lose uh, economic power because they're not hired into the newly integrated system. This then means that the newly integrated system has been orchestrated to be a white space, a white controlled space where the levers of leadership, the levers of teaching, the levers of what the curriculum will include, the levels of funding are primarily controlled, almost exclusively controlled by white hands. And so students, uh, what they experience then and now is a curriculum. That is almost exclusively white in authorship and imagery and content. So, I'm sure that some people will
3: be listening to this conversation. First, they'll have a hard time believing it, and they'll have a hard time believing it, and they will have a hard time seeing a connection to the current, you know, current uh, concerns in American education. So, for people who who feel that way, you know, what would you say? People who would say, well, that's all in the past. You know, that was a long time ago.
2: You know, why do we need to talk about this now? What would you say? I would say that that we're still living with this history. This, is, this history is not dead, and it inflicted traumas that we still feel today. Uh, the trauma of the damage done to the public school system, because of the loss of this high caliber principal and teacher workforce that was more credentialed than the educators who replaced them. The trauma of the near total, you know, disintegration of Black authority in every area of public education. You know, the there was economic trauma as well. You know, the loss of 100,000 Black principals and teachers and the transfer of about $2.2 billion worth of income in today's um, money. And probably the, not probably, but the most severe trauma, which was the trauma inflicted to Black students who were now in schools that were hostile to their intellectual and social development. So these are these are, you know, hostilities and traumas that we still live with, they still have, uh, unfortunately, breadth and reach. Now, I do think that there's um, a way out, and the way out is threefold. One, let's acknowledge this history and um, begin to frame the uh, efforts to diversify the nation's educator workforce um you know, mindful of this this history. Um, the second way out is to um better fund those institutions that have been strong engines for the production of teachers of color. And third, I think we need to message what continues to show up in polls of American um, parents with school aged children. And that is that they value a diverse teaching force, that they believe in an integrated school system. Um, And I don't think that that message is heard enough, that American parents of school-age children value integrated schools, and they believe in a diverse educator workforce.
3: That is Leslie T. Fenwick. She's Dean Emerita of the Howard University School of Education. Her new book, Jim Crow's Pink Slip, The Untold Story of Black Principal and Teacher Leadership, is out now. Dean Fenwick, it's a very riveting and disturbing story. Thank you so much for telling
2: it to us. Thank you. Thank you for making time. It's a delight to be with you,
1: Michelle.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. And I just want to ask again about that survey. It'd really mean a lot if you fill that out. It's at npr.org slash podcast survey. It's quick, anonymous, and lets us know how you think we're doing. Again, that's at npr.org slash podcast survey. All one word. Thank you.